We're excited to start some of these activities. Today's also the opportunity for us to start a new series, and I'm excited about this. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians together, and we're calling, uh, we're calling it uh, 1 Corinthians Gospel Matters. Uh, we're talking about the gospel because as we walk through this book, we're going to see that the gospel is all throughout its pages. In the Corinthian church, we're dealing not just with problems, but we're dealing with matters of the gospel. And so as we study this book together, we're going to see that it, the Apostle Paul keeps bringing us back to the cross, to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Paul longed to see the Corinthians work together for the advancement of the gospel. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in two places this morning. We're going to do some introductory stuff. So we're going to start off by reading the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to flip over to Acts chapter 18 to get some introduction and background to uh, Paul's ministry and the church there in Corinth. And then we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 1 uh, as, we, as we study this text together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we will uh, read together the first nine verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you so that you're not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we're going to see in this letter, the Corinthians had some problems, had some issues. Uh, this was a church that uh, was... Um, filled with uh, all kinds of things that I think that we'll see, that we can see, find a lot of parallels in, in our 21st century church. There was divisions, there was the issues with unity, there was sexual immorality, there was acceptance of behaviors that were, were not supposed to be so. And the Apostle Paul was dealing with a lot, of, a lot of parallels. But what's interesting here is that no matter what it is, he always points them back to Jesus. In fact, he's setting the stage. I don't know if you noticed that uh, in, in these nine verses that we just read, but the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus at least nine times in those first nine verses. You heard it over and over. Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. He wants, he wants the Corinthians to keep their eyes on Jesus, to take the focus off themselves, which we're going to find out that that was the case over and over again, and to turn their eyes upon Christ. But I'd like us to take a, just a few minutes to get a little bit of a picture of this group of people that he's writing to, and then we're going to come back to the text. He's writing to Christians in the city of Corinth. Now, I think I got a map here. 
Corinth there. You can also look in your, in your Bibles. Most of your Bibles will have a map in the back, and you can kind of see where Corinth was situated there. It was an important port city. In fact, there was, there was a narrow strip of land only six miles wide, and uh, it was an important port city because not only uh, was, it, was it a frequent docking place, but uh, there, was, there were attempts, even uh, long before the days of Paul, to try to dig a canal so that you can, you can kind of see that if, if, you don't, if, if you can't cross there, you've got to go all the way the, down around the, the bottom, the southern tip of Greece, to be able to, to stop at any of the port cities there that are on the west side of Greece. And so there were attempts to dig a canal so that they could cut right across uh, there, right at where Corinth is. It was only a six-mile strip of land, and, and all the attempts failed until 1923. They finally completed it in 1923. Uh, but there was a, uh, if, you, if it was a smaller ship, they actually had people that would drag ships across land for those six miles. They had a, they had a, a, a swath cut out where, where they would drag them uh, with, with labor across, across land for the right price. But the city of Corinth, uh, even today, um, you can see this. It was, it was uh, overlooked by this uh, immense mountain called Acro-Corinth. It was a rugged limestone mountain, almost 2,000 feet high. And uh, there's some of the ruins from the city. The, the original city of Corinth was destroyed by the Romans when the Romans came in and invaded in around 146 B.C. It was wiped out. And about 100 years later, about 50 years before the time of Christ, uh, Julius Caesar rebuilt the city and colonized it with Romans. And so by the time of uh, Paul's day, it was much more a Roman city than it was a, a, a Greek culture city. But some of that, that uh, Greek culture still remained. By the time Paul came around, uh, Corinth was a city of about 80,000 people with a, with a further, further 20,000 in the surrounding settlements um, because of its, its strategic uh, location. Uh, it was a very important port city. Um, Corinth, um, uh, as a port city, had a very transient population. People came and went. Corinth was known as a city, and, and of course many port cities in those days were known as a, as a very seedy places as, where there's a lot of immoral behavior. Uh, sometimes, uh, maybe a little bit, as I, as I read some of the history in, the, in the, some of the commentaries, some commentaries describe maybe a little bit more immorality than what was actually the case. It was actually probably far worse before the Romans came in, uh, and it was uh, it tamed a little bit by Paul's days. But as we're, as we're still going to see throughout this letter, it was a city with much licentiousness and uh, behavior that was constantly pulling the, uh, the, the, Christian, the Corinthian Christians back into that old lifestyle. I want to just look at Acts 18 for just a moment to see how Paul first came upon Corinth. It was during his uh, second missionary journey that Paul came to visit this city. If you've uh, read the book of Acts and you're familiar with the flow, you'll know in chapter 17 he was just in Athens in proclaiming, uh, he kind of had his, his famous sermon on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. And when we get to chapter 18, we find uh, chapter 18, verse 1, it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And it says he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. So Claudius, the emperor at the time, had issued a persecution. Jews were forced to flee from Rome, and uh, Aquila and Priscilla, this husband and wife team, had settled in Corinth. And Paul meets them there and uh, kind of struck up a relationship with them. It says he went to see them in verse 3, and because 
he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. This is how we know. We mentioned this uh, just, I think, a week or two ago that Paul was a tent maker. This is how we know. He was working with Aquila and Priscilla there, and he was, he was making some money, and he was uh, kind of um, uh, establishing uh, some work there and some income. And in verse 4, it says, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul began preaching in the synagogues. That was kind of his first avenue of ministry. Paul typically did that. He went to the Jew first and then to the, to the Greek. He, he went here and proclaimed the gospel in the synagogues. And uh, verse 5 says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, so some of his teammates joined him, it says Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. So Paul became occupied. Paul became uh, focused upon the word of God, and his ministry there was centered in, at least initially here, trying to help the Jewish people see that this Messiah, the, the long-awaited Messiah, it's Jesus. He's come. He's here. And uh, verse 6 says, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, and his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So it seems like it's only after Paul turns then and begins proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles there in Corinth, then that the, the ruler of the synagogue, that God just opens his eyes and, and the light bulbs go on, and he believes the gospel. He finally believes and his whole family, it says, believes that Jesus is the Christ. And so now he's, he's, uh, he's, the, the church is beginning to go. We've got Crispus and his family and Titius Justice and others who are coming to Christ. And then verse 9 says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. You see, God had gone before him and said, listen, there are, there are hearts that have been prepared. Jesus once said, I have many sheep who are not of this fold. Jesus said, there are people out there who, who are, are primed and ready. They just need to hear the gospel. It's such a great comfort knowing that God goes before us as we seek to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not up to us to coerce them. It's not up to us to uh, just wrestle people into the kingdom of God. Jesus goes before us. And he told Paul, listen, I've got many people in this city. He wasn't talking about people who were already saved. He was talking about people who were ready and primed. And when they hear the gospel, there are people who are going to come to me, Paul. And so Paul had that hope and that confidence that his ministry was not going to be in vain. And it says he stayed there a year and six months, a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. And so that was the beginning of the church at Corinth here during the the second missionary journey, this was, it would have been around 50 or 51 A.D. And uh, we're, if you go on and read the story, we're not going to continue to read it, but um, eventually um, uh, charges were brought against Paul. Uh, they brought, bring him to the Bema or the judgment seat. Where you can, if you go to Corinth today, you can still visit and see the Bema seat where Paul would have been brought there. And, and eventually he was... Um, he was, he was ran out of town and, uh, and, and, and persecuted. And so uh, he went on and moved on from the city. Uh, Paul remained there and soon departed for Ephesus and uh, on his way to Jerusalem and Antioch. And so as we come to Corinthians, the letter here, uh, what happens is after Paul left Corinth, 
the Corinthians were visited by Apollos, who was a, a Greek-speaking Jewish Christian and, and an associate of uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Possibly even Peter came to visit as, they, as he passed through Corinth on his way to Rome. Uh, these visits, while good for the church in general, seem to have divided the loyalties of the congregation and generated the beginnings of a personality cult. We'll see that as we, as we read into the first chapter next week. We'll see that uh, some of those phrases, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. Divisions had begun to arise, and they were picking who their leaders, who their heroes were. Uh, so what happened then was Paul heard about this, and uh, in addition to some uh, sexual immorality that, that was coming up in the church, and so he wrote them a letter. And he mentions this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, where he says, I wrote to you before, dot, dot, dot. And so what happens is actually most scholars believe that there, are, uh, there were at least four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. In God's providence and his sovereignty, we have two of them, and they were preserved in the New Testament canon. But Paul wrote a letter before 1 Corinthians encouraging them uh, to, to not associate with sexually immoral people. And so then now he writes this second letter, which we call 1 Corinthians, uh, from Ephesus in around A.D. 53. Uh, it, it, he sent it through one of the house church leaders who had visited him, and he wrote kind of in response to two things. First of all, uh, at the beginning of chapter 1, and you, can, and you can flip back to 1 Corinthians if you haven't done so, he says in um, verse, um, verse 11, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. So Chloe and her people, whoever they are, they're kind of snitches. And they told on the Corinthians uh, and, told on, and, and, and told Paul, listen, they're fighting here. They're not getting along. <laughs> so Paul hears some of these reports, and we find out later that it's not just from Chloe, but it's from others, that there are some big problems going on. So that was one reason Paul wrote the letter. The other one, it seems like, is because the Corinthians wrote him a letter. There's letters flying all over the place. It gets confusing. But the Corinthians wrote him a letter, and they had some questions for him. And when you get to chapter 7, he starts off, there's kind of a shift. So the first six chapters are kind of dealing with the problems he's heard about. And then when you get to chapter 7, he starts off with this phrase, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And he, he mentions that phrase several times over the next few chapters. It seems like they had several topics that they wanted uh, answered. They, wanted some, uh, they had some questions about uh, um, things like marriage and celibacy, food that had been sacrificed to idols. We'll get in that in chapter uh, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, spiritual gifts, that's chapter 12, 13, and 14. Uh, 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 the collection, um, uh, the Lord's table, um, and uh, the role of uh, women um, in chapter 11. Um, uh, the, uh, the, there's some issues with regards to their view of the resurrection, and that comes up in chapter 15. So what the book becomes, it's almost like, and a lot of pastors struggle as they preach through it, because there's, it doesn't feel like it has a logical flow, like much of what, uh, uh, like Romans, if you're going to check out Gene's class here today, they're going to begin Romans. Romans is a very logical book. There's, there's a real clear structure. And Corinthians is not quite that much. It feels like a collection of essays, really. But, but Paul is dealing with issues that either he has heard about or that the Corinthians have asked about. And so that will come to the forefront as we study it. But before we get into the issues, just by way of introduction, Paul starts off these first nine verses and, and, and brings grace. 
And I just love how he starts this letter. Um, I don't know about you, how would you start a letter uh, to a church that you've poured 18 months of your life into? These, these people that you have, have night and day just labored to disciple and to preach and to, and to, and to pour into. And then you hear that, we're just talking a couple of years later, that they've just kind of made a train wreck of the whole thing. <laughs> How would you feel? Where would your emotions be? Sad, discouraged, angry, frustrated? Paul does not begin this letter with launching into a verbal beatdown. He begins this letter with grace. What a wonderful place to begin. Sometimes we find ourselves in our relationships with others, and maybe it's our kids, maybe it's here in church, and, and we know that there's an issue that needs to be dealt with. And so often our first reaction is to go after, to attack. You should take some notes from the Apostle Paul. He didn't ignore the problem. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He didn't pretend the issues weren't there. But he started with grace. And I don't think that Paul is like buttering them up. I don't think that Paul is being disingenuous here. You know, sometimes maybe uh, you've had to do that with a coworker. Or, you know, you've had to, had to, maybe as a boss or something, you've had to speak up to someone at work. You had to sit down with them. And uh, you decide, well, I'm going to start with just saying, saying some nice things first. You know, you're good at this and you do this well. But man, holy cow. We've got some serious issues. I don't, I don't think Paul is trying to soften the blow here. I think Paul is being genuine with his words to them. Do you hear how he starts? He says, to the church of God that is at Corinth, verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing to hear. You know, as, as God's people, we need to remember grace. Everybody needs encouragement. Everybody needs to be built up in our Lord Jesus Christ. So few of us exercise the gift of encouragement. God's people... In fact, believer or unbeliever, they need grace. He wants them to experience grace and peace. In his, in, his, in his encouragement, he reminded them of a few things. And there's ways that you could write this down a little bit more uh, specifically, or you could really, we could really flesh it out if we had more time this morning. But just briefly, first of all, he reminds them that they were set apart. They were set apart. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Those words both uh, tie into uh, the same root. Sanctified and saints are both tied, tie into the, 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 the root word for holiness. Um, sanctified means to dedicate, to set apart, to be consecrated. Um, uh, be called a saint means to be a holy person, one dedicated and set apart to God. What Paul was reminding them is that holiness was not a status that was to be earned by good works, but it was bestowed upon them by God based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
our status as set-apart ones is based upon Jesus, not on how well we're doing today, on, on how good we've been. Listen, we, don't get me wrong. It's all over Scripture. We're called to live holy lives. We're called to live out that standing before Jesus. That, that he, but he has said, in, in Jesus, you are declared righteous. You are holy and blameless in my sight. A life of holiness means then living out of that standing, living out of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So I endeavor to live a holy life out of my holy standing before Jesus. Does that make sense? He's calling these Christians who have made a mess of things. It's bad. Oh, it's bad. He's calling these Christians who have made a train wreck of the things that he has taught them and imparted to them, he says, listen, you guys are saints. You have been set apart by God for God. You know, sometimes things get bad in our lives. And I'm not just talking about the circumstances that happen to us. I'm talking about the stupid things that we do, the sinful things that we do. Sometimes we make a train wreck of things. And God's word, I believe, is the same to you and I as it is to the Corinthians. If you are a child of God, I believe that the Apostle Paul would write, would start off his letter to you the same way. You're set apart by God, for God, and you're a saint today. You may not be living that in your reality. You may not be living it out. You may be living in sin. But if you're a true child of God, he said, you've been set apart. And what, what the rest of the book is going to do is say, now I want you to live like it. I want you to live like it. And Paul says in verse 3, then grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul brings grace right into his greeting. I wish we had more time to talk about that phrase that he loved to use in his introductions, grace to you and peace. What a blessed introduction. Paul wanted them to know that he was praying for and blessing them with the grace of God and the peace of God. We all need that each and every day. The second thing I wanted you to see is that they were equipped. First of all, they were set apart. The second thing is that they were equipped. In verse 4, it just astounds me. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Because even, just because they were sinning, just because they had, had, had really twisted a lot of things Paul taught, had abandoned other things that Paul taught, it didn't cease Paul, uh, Paul's gratitude for them. He says, I'm always thanking God for you. Are you always thankful for the people in your life that give you gray hairs, that give you, uh, keep you up at night, that make you kind of smack your head against the wall? Like, come on, would these people just get it? Paul says, I'm always giving thanks for you. What a heart for people. I want that heart. I want that love. And he says, Here's the equipping part. He says in um, uh, verse 7, 
or no, verse 5, he says that every, in every way you are enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge. And then in verse 7, so you're not lacking in any gift. Paul wanted them to know that there was nothing that was missing that could keep them from living out that holiness. Again, we'll see it as we go deeper into the book, but the Corinthians were like always searching for something else. The Corinthians wanted, they especially valued um, knowledge and spiritual gifts. And, and, and they, they, they were like on the, on the lookout for a, a higher plane of spirituality. They were looking for something that somehow had been um, not doled out at the moment of their salvation. And they were looking for that extra experience. And what, what Paul tells them here right the, off the bat, he says, In Christ you have been enriched in every way, in all speech and in all knowledge. 